Hey everyone, welcome to the Naz Church Weekly Message Podcast. Here, you will listen to the preaching pastors from the Naz in Grove City, Ohio. We pray that you are inspired by their teachings. I need to talk to you something about very serious, something very serious this morning. You see, something has happened in my home that I'm not very comfortable with. You see, um, Pastor, would you? (laughs) Trust me, I'm not going where you think I'm going. (laughs) But uh, during the college football season, my my youngest, my six-year-old, decided that he loves to watch football which is music to my ears, so every Saturday, every Sunday, Dad, is there football on today? Every Monday, is there football on today? Yep, Monday night football. And then we would have Tuesday, Wednesday, nothing. Thursday was good. Friday night, some high school football. I mean, it's just been a great fall. And so during a Saturday in the fall, I decided to turn on a game. We're just gonna sit down and watch the game. It's just football, okay? And there's this wide receiver that he's in the back of the end zone, and the quarterback, he stands back and he fires high, and this wide receiver jumps up, catches the ball, scores a touchdown, and my son says, wow, who is that? And I said, oh, it's nobody. (laughs) And he said, no, Dad, who is that? Who is number 18? I said, that's Marvin Harrison Jr., the best wide receiver in the country, but that's not a big deal. (laughs) And he looks at me and he says, that's me now. That's who I am. I'm number 18. I'm a Buckeye. (laughs) Okay. For those of you that are new here, you need to understand something. I am not a Buckeye. I'm the furthest thing from it. And uh, I have done my fatherly duties over these last several months. And I have pulled up YouTube and shown him my favorite wide receivers from the best football team, obviously. And we've been watching these videos, and he's like, that's cool, that's cool. And he can't remember any of their names. (laughs) I ordered him a pair of receiver gloves even this week from my team. But what what I've seen happen, though, is he'll say, well, that's me, and... So we got this football and we broke all of the house rules because he stands in front of the couch, I stand in the kitchen, and we throw probably 50 footballs a day now where he tries to leap as high as he can because he says, I am number 18. That's who I am. In fact, he started to get frustrated with me when I'm gone in the evening. He'll go, Dad, who's going to throw with me? Because in his mind, he has a goal. He's number 18, and someday he's playing for the Buckeyes. No, 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 save it, save it. That would be the only way you would ever catch me cheering for them. 
I have an imposter in my home. Pray for me. <laughs> oh, y'all are too much. But I want to talk about imposters this morning. And in fact, I want to talk about imposter syndrome. If you've heard of this before, have you heard of this phrase before, imposter syndrome? I'm going to define it here in just a moment. But one of the things that I mentioned a couple months back was that children, statistically speaking, are actually born as geniuses. Do you know this? They're born as geniuses, and then we educate it out of them. By the time they're 15 or 16, it's basically gone. But there's also something, I think, special about children that they can look at a situation, they look at a football player, they look at this guy doing something amazing, and they're like, that's me. That's who I am. I can do it. And, and in fact, me, as you know, I'm getting not any younger, certainly, I see a guy make a play like that, and I, my back starts to hurt just watching it now, right? There's no way I could do something quite like that. But children are confident. Children believe in themselves. Something happens when we get a little bit further along. Maybe life happens, situations happen, whatever. Um, we start to lose that wonder, that expectancy, the thought that I could do anything or I could go wherever God calls me to go or uh, whatever, our insecurities begin to get in the way. And in fact, the message I'm bringing to you today is straight from my insecurity, okay? It's born out of a conversation that I have with the Lord. And I remember right where I was driving and uh, I had a rough day at work. And none of y'all ever have rough days at work, do you? No. Rough day at work, I'm driving and I have made a decision that I didn't love how it had turned out. those voices started to get to me a little bit and I'm like, man, there's so many better people to do this job than me. I don't belong here. In fact, man, I wonder if they'll realize that I am a fraud. I'm a fake. They can find someone better. The, the gig's gonna be up soon. Have you ever felt that way before? Right, and, and those are like low moments that you have, but uh, we have, and statistically speaking, 70% of us, seven out of 10, have these feelings which I thought was really interesting. I think it's probably closer to 100%, but I just went with what the internet said. But this is the definition it provided for imposter syndrome. It said, people who struggle with imposter syndrome believe that they are undeserving of their achievements and the high esteem in which they are, in fact, generally held. They feel that they aren't as competent or intelligent as others might think and that soon enough, people will discover the truth about them. So in other words, have you ever been in a place before that you belong? You should be there, but you don't feel like you belong. Right? I see this and I feel this in parenting all the time because I have these three children of my own that my wife and I are responsible for, but I have these moments where the, the 16 or the 18-year-old me comes back to mind and I'm like, how am I responsible for them? How am I responsible for these children? What, what am I supposed to do, you know? And, and you start to kind of go down that path. Or, or maybe, like I mentioned earlier, maybe you've been there in your career sometimes or, or maybe in a relationship or a dating relationship where you're just like, man, she is so beautiful. When's she gonna realize how ugly I am? 
Or maybe on a more serious note, we do this a little bit with our faith too, right? How could God love me after what I've done? Or how could God trust me with a calling when I fail at just about everything I do? Or at least I feel like I do. New year, new view is what we're talking about. So my goal today is we talk about mental health and we talk about the stories of Jesus in John chapter eight, is that maybe we would learn to shift our mind away from some of these accusers and, and thought patterns and different things that we feel uh, inside of us, these sort of imposters, if you will. You see, there's a story in scripture in John eight, and go ahead and open up your Bibles to that um, if you're ready, that's kind of an imposter itself. And here's what I mean by that. In fact, my Bible says the most ancient Greek manuscripts do not include John 7, 53 through 8, 11. We're going to be in John 8, 1 through 11. And I thought it's perfect as we're talking about insecurity. I'm sure if there was like, if these stories in the Bible had their own insecurity levels, this is probably one that would be highly insecure. Because they'd be like, lots of people didn't even want me here, but now I'm here and I want people to think that I belong here, right? John chapter eight, verses one through 11. We're gonna read this and then we're gonna pray, okay? This is what it said. It said, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, probably somewhat sarcastically. Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Verse 6, it says, they were trying to trap him into saying something that could, they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and he wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? I'm gonna read that again. So I want you to hang on to it. Where are your accusers? And he said, didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. The word of the Lord for you today. Would you bow your heads as we pray? Holy Spirit, I thank you for the fun that we've gotten to have this morning, the time of worship and laughter, and you're good. God, you meet us here. God, we thank you that we get to hear your word and be a part of your word. Lord, my prayer is that people wouldn't necessarily remember what I say or my anecdotes, but Lord, that people would have an genuine, everyone here and everyone listening would have a genuine encounter with your presence, God, that you would deal with things in our life that you need to and that you would do it in only the way that you're able to do that. And so, Lord, we're expectant of your presence and how you're gonna move. Father, move in this place, we ask in the name of Jesus. Everyone said? 
Amen. So, like I, like I mentioned earlier, this passage wasn't in a lot of the earlier manuscripts, uh, but it's here now, and it's here for a good reason, but I want to give you some background here to this passage. You see, in John chapter 7, Jesus is teaching in the temple, and as Jesus is teaching in the temple, he's saying some things that make the Pharisees think that Jesus himself is an imposter. In fact, let me give you this definition of an imposter. An imposter, according to the Oxford Dictionary, was a person who pretends to be someone else in order to deceive others, especially for fraudulent gains. Now, we know based off that definition that Jesus was not an imposter based off that definition. What Jesus was doing was Jesus was challenging how the religious leaders understood the law of God, and he was teaching something contrary to what they taught, and he was challenging their power. Now, because of that, they were very strong people, and they had these guards in the temple. Uh, they were kind of their henchmen, and they sent these guards to arrest Jesus. Well, the guards went out, and they heard Jesus teaching, and Jesus was saying things like this. This is in John 7. It's not on the screen. This is bonus scripture here. John 7, 37, on the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowd, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And these guys, the guards went to arrest Jesus and they heard it and they didn't arrest him. And in fact, they went back to the Pharisees and they said, why didn't you arrest Jesus? And, Jesus, and they said, have you ever heard anyone talk like this before? This is incredible. And so they were plotting and planning against Jesus. And then finally, there's this guy named Nicodemus who we find out about in other places in Scripture who says, actually, we can't arrest him because it violates parts of the law to do that. And Jesus leaves the temple. Now, you and I, I would think, if we were in a place where people were going to arrest us and they maybe wanted to kill us, safe to say we probably wouldn't go back to that place, right? Well, we find here in John chapter 8 that Jesus goes right back to the temple the next day. But this time the Pharisees have a plan, and their plan is to trap Jesus. And here's kind of what it looks like. They find this woman uh, that's, that's caught in adultery, and we don't know exactly what they did to catch her, but we do know in Scripture, and you should be asking yourself this question, where was the man? Where was the man? Nowhere to be found. They were using this woman as a pawn. And if Jesus followed the law of Moses like they wanted him to, this woman dies. They didn't care about this woman. They didn't care about who she was, whose daughter she was, or whose sister, mother, or friend she was. Did not care about her identity. All they cared, cared about was using her to get to Jesus. And here's the trap. Because they said, Jesus, well, the law says... The law of Moses, if someone is caught, into a, caught in adultery, then we can stone them. We can kill them with these stones. Now, if Jesus would have said, yep, you know what, go ahead. Let's, let's all just get your stones out and, and throw it at them and let's just kill her right here. Well, then the Romans would arrest Jesus because Jesus didn't have the authority, according to the Romans, to execute someone. But on the other side, uh, if Jesus said, you know what, guys, I know what the law says. In this case, let's not kill her. They would have discredited Jesus as a teacher who didn't obey the law. And so they thought they had found this perfect trap. It was, it was actually pretty, pretty clever. 
And so Jesus bends down to write in the dust. One of the things we know in scripture is that we don't know what he wrote. And for thousands of years, Christians and scholars have been speculating what was Jesus writing in the dust. Was Jesus, in fact, just annoyed and doing tic-tac-toe boards? I hope so. Did they have tic-tac-toe back then? I don't know. Was Jesus just playing in the dirt? In fact, there's, there's so many different interpretations, and I've looked at lots of different church history, and we have in John chapter 7 where Jesus says, I'm living water, and I want you to hang on to that. But what I'm going to do is give you some possibilities of what he could have written or what Jesus could have been saying. This is not fact. This is just uh, me thinking about it out loud, okay? Exodus chapter 31, verse 18 It says, when the Lord finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two stone tablets. This is the Ten Commandments. Inscribed with the terms of the covenant written by the finger of God. Was Jesus in this moment declaring his divinity just as he's writing in the ground? We're not sure what he's writing, uh, but it is pointing out that he is the one that gave the Ten Commandments. He is the one that gave the law, so don't try to trap him with the law of Moses because he's the author of it. That'd be pretty cool, right? Or or maybe this, Genesis 2, verse 7. It says, Then the Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. This is the origin of humanity, that God breathed the breath of life into people from the dust of the ground, and that's how they became people. Was Jesus saying that he was the one who creates and gives life? And he'll be the one who decides and will not be forced into a decision. That could have been pretty, that would be a cool way to do it. One that I found pretty compelling here, which is what I kind of hope Jesus did. This is a prophecy from Jeremiah 17, uh, verse 13. It says this, and the religious scholars would have known this. Lord, You are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Was it possible that Jesus is bending down and he's writing the names of the Pharisees in the dust because the other day he talked about being the spring of living water and they rejected him and he's saying, you're gonna be forgotten forever. Oh, that'd be cool. I'd be like, if I was voting, I'd say, Jesus, do that one. But they kept demanding, well, Jesus is writing in the dust. We're not sure what he said. But his response is the most important thing because they kept demanding a response out of Jesus. And Jesus stands up and he just says, all right, fine. I understand what the law says. We all know what the law says, and you're trying to trap me here. But fine, if we must follow your law, the law, let he who was without sin throw the first stone. Let he who is without sin throw the first stone and after that Jesus bends down and he begins to write in the dust again and while he's writing in the dust, the Bible tells us that the Pharisees, starting from the oldest accuser, they realize their gig is up and they begin to walk away. And they disappear and they leave. And then finally, this is what scripture says. 
And verse 9, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Where are your accusers? Where are your accusers? That's my question for today. You see, because this story, besides being an incredible act and moment of grace paramount to the message of Jesus, what does it have to do with us? What does it have to do with imposter syndrome, and what does it have to do with our mind, and what does it have to do uh, with mental health? You see, this reminds me of the accusers we hear in our head all the time, the voices that we often let condemn and rule us. The accusers in our mind, and I wrote a little list, and maybe these are just mine, and I bet you have your own. The accusers in your mind that say you aren't capable, you're not able, you don't belong here, you're fooling people, you're an imposter, you don't deserve what you have, you don't even deserve Jesus. Have you heard those voices before? Right, accusers, this is what they do, they attack your identity. Because these lies that are being told to you, the accusers want you to believe that's who you are. That I'm not capable that I'm a sinner, that I don't belong here, I'm just fooling people, I'm an imposter, I don't de deserve Jesus, that it becomes a part of who I am. And, and this is what happens. In fact, I was reading an article this week that talked about the five different ways that these voices, these accusers, manifest themselves in our lives, how we respond to these voices. I'm sure you'll uh, relate with one of them. One is this, perfectionism. Anyone here struggle with perfectionism? You wanna be right, you wanna get everything perfect all the time because if you don't, there's this fear that people may see your insecurity. The worst fears that you fear about yourself will become obvious because you're not perfect. Or, another one that I like, acting like a superhero. This is the type of person that lives on external validation because their inside is so rough, they need other people to validate them all the time. And so they're the ones that are gonna outwork everyone else. They're showing up early, they're staying late. They try to have everything together because they don't want people to see what's actually going on inside of them. Here's another one. People that avoid new things and new opportunities. There are people that will not try new things because they don't wanna risk the embarrassment of it not working out or not being able to pick up on it quickly. A little different than uh, a five-year-old thinking they could be a receiver, right? Or there's another group of people that they're afraid to ask for help because if I ask for help, then everyone will know that I need help and that there's a problem with me. Or lastly, and I think this is easiest to do, endless information consumption. Those that wanna know everything, they read everything, they're always learning, so that that way when someone asks a question, they're never caught off guard and they always have an answer for something. If we're just being real this morning, how many of us would say, yeah, I'm, I've been one of those or all five of those? Yeah. Because that's what happens when doubt starts to creep in and these lies and these voices in our heads start to take over and they start to attack us, this is what happens. We think that we need to compensate for those things. 
Because what's happening in this story with this woman is that the same tricks are being used against us with our mind. The enemy is up to the same tricks, trying to trick us into believing that our identity is our sin, that our identity is our failure, that our identity is based off of our insecurity, that our identity is based off of lies. And you need to know this, and I want to say it really clearly, your sin is not who you are. Your sin is not who you are. It doesn't define who you are. Your insecurity is not who you are. That's not you. That's not who God created you to be. Aren't you thankful that God doesn't look at you and call you by your sin? And this is what bothers me in this story because even the headline, the woman caught in adultery, what's her name? Who is she? Everyone else is pointing at her, calling her by her sin and calling her by the act. And that's what those voices do to us sometimes, right? But I'm reminded of this really beautiful scripture. I, I found it this morning. I want to read it to you. It's in Isaiah chapter 43. This is also one of the prophetic texts. It says, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fires of oppression, you will not be burnt up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Aren't you grateful that God doesn't call us by our sin? He calls us by our name. That he says, I know who you are. And the reality is, I think in a world where everyone is trying to determine who they are, they're trying to discover their identity, that you will never fully understand and discover your identity until you become like this woman and you find yourself right at the feet of Jesus. Because he knows right who you are, because it says this later on in John chapter 8. Uh, this is also another bonus scripture here, twelve, verse 12. He said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the life, the light that leads to life. I can show you who you really are. You see, when you live in darkness, let me illuminate who you are. I know who you are. When everyone else is trying to call you by these names, when you have the accuser standing there attacking your identity, at the feet of Jesus is the place where he says, I'm going to handle those things. Those lies that you're telling yourself, you don't need to believe it. The lies that other people are saying about you, you don't need to follow those because I know who you are. And I love this response with Jesus where he says, where are your accusers? And, and she's like, Lord, acknowledging who Jesus is, he's, they're gone. And Jesus being the only one that actually could have accused, says, I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. And he calls her towards a life of purpose. And so I believe this with all my heart. As we talk about imposters, you are not an imposter if you are living a called life. If God has a call on your life, you're not an imposter. You may feel like one sometimes, but you're not because God has called you there. And in fact, uh, Pastor Mark Fuller, our, our previous senior pastor, a friend of mine, mentor, he said, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. 
Now, I'm sure he would give that quote credit to someone else. But I love it. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. You see, there are days where there are places that we are called where we feel under-equipped. We don't feel like we belong in that place. I gave the example of our family. There are times where you are with your family, and you need to know this. If you are with your family, God has called you there. God has called you to lead your family, to influence your family, to be in your family, to love your family. That's God's calling, right? But there are times where I mess up. And it's not like, well, all right, because I'm not a good dad sometimes, God doesn't want me here. No, God wants to deal with the sin in my life and the the struggles and the issues so I can be a better dad. Because the reality is for calling, and I think people worry so much about calling, like I'm gonna miss out on my calling. In fact, if you're a high schooler and you're looking at college, you're looking at the rest of your life, we have this idea that we have to choose the perfect college, right? I gotta choose the perfect college, I gotta choose the perfect career because I'm getting ready to take on student loans and that could mess up the rest of my life and you have the next you know, 50 years planned out because you're so worried about making that one right decision when in reality I think calling is more than that. Yeah, does God have great places for you? Yes, and we just need to follow him and be obedient, but I also believe sometimes God calls us into different places for different seasons. That there are small places that we can all consider ourselves called, like our workplace, uh, like our family, like our home, like our neighborhood. These are all places that we're called, like the grocery store. Wherever we are, we're called there because Jesus is with us and God has something for us in that moment. Do you believe that? And you cannot be an imposter if you're where somewhere, you are somewhere that you are called to. But also, I believe this with all of my heart, that you cannot be fully called and you can't fully know your identity until you're at the feet of Jesus. Your calling your identity begins at the feet of Jesus. My calling begins when I find my identity in who he is and who he says he is because he says, I'm the living water. I'm the light. I am not accusing you. I know who you are. I'm calling you by name. In fact, if we were going to look at at imposters, we are an imposter to the kingdom of heaven before Jesus. In fact, let me share this scripture with you, Ephesians chapter 2. It says, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. You see, the reality is the world is an imposter to the kingdom of God, which is why Jesus came. But then you have people that are following Jesus and the enemy is working overtime to tell lies to you so that you believe you don't belong there. The truth is the enemy doesn't think you belong there. They don't want you there. But Jesus himself dealt with this. Through grace, when he died for us, when he gave himself up, and this is what Jesus does when he he writes down in the dust, and and I think maybe it's possible that maybe Jesus was just writing sins down that he knew that because of what he was about to do, these sins that were written in stone on our lives would be washed away quickly, just like sand because of his blood, because of what he is able to do. And so church, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like to think new year, new view, new perspective. All of us have been in places where we aren't comfortable. That maybe we've questioned ourselves, that we feel like we don't belong. 
where we question our identity, we're searching for something. Maybe you've been at a place where you've been listening to voices for too long. That maybe this new year will be a place where God is calling you saying, hey, I want you to see yourself how I see you. I want you to see yourself as called. I want you to know that in moments of insecurity that you're not alone and that those are lies and that's not who you are. I want you to see that in moments where you fall and you sin, that's not who you are. <laughs> that I am here for you, go and sin no more. In fact, here's something I would like for each and every one of us to do. If you're worshiping online, you can participate in this as well. I'd like you to close your eyes for a moment. Because it's really cool when I think about this story, when I think about this woman caught when I apply these details to other people, what about me? You see, I think this story begins to take hold. When we realize God's greatest works in our lives happen when we find ourselves at the feet of Jesus exposed our sins for all to see, surrounded by our insecurities, all of those voices being loud from old to new, these voices that we've heard forever, and the ones that have newly developed, Jesus wants to deal with those things, and so I want you in your mind, surrounded by those things, you know what they are, to look at the face of Jesus right now. What do you see? How is he looking at you? Is he smiling? Is there a tear in his eye? Is it compassion? Is it love? Is it all of those things? Jesus is looking at you right now. He's saying, hey, look at me. You know those lies, those accusations. I don't want those to be there. I know who you are. I know who I've created you to be. I know the call that I have for you. He says, I want you to, I want to deal with those things in this moment, and I want you to keep your eyes on me. I want you to block out the sounds of those other things and look at me right now. Because if anyone can accuse you, I can. But not even I will do that. Because I love you because I died for you, because I care for you, because you matter to me, because I have a plan for your life. You're never gonna be alone. You belong at my feet right here with me and we're gonna go together wherever we go. Go, go in peace and don't sin anymore. If you're here in this place right now or you're worshiping online and you maybe feel a call of Jesus, that you've tried the other things, you've been in darkness, need to know that there's a savior here. He says, I died for you so that your past and your sins and your terrible things that you think define your life can be washed away. I love the response of this woman who when Jesus looks at her says, Lord, Lord, she acknowledges who he is. And so a relationship with Jesus is really simple. We confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord. And if that's you today, it's a simple prayer where we say, Jesus, we place our trust in you. 
Jesus, I don't have everything figured out. All I know, Jesus, is I can't be Lord of my life anymore. Jesus, lead my life. I surrender to you. It's as simple as that. If you're here in that, this place and that is you, you can say that prayer with your mouth or say it in your heart right now to be in relationship with Jesus. I also know this, I understand that as we face insecurity and we face all of these other things, that sometimes we need to be reminded to place our trust in Jesus. Church, I'm gonna ask you to open your eyes and stand to your feet. We're gonna sing this song. I trust in God. Understanding that you are called, that you are loved, you are forgiven, you are chosen, you have a purpose, and you need to know that if God has called you there, things don't have to be perfect. You can be like that six-year-old kid with a football says, that's me, that's who I'm gonna be, that's where I'm going because that's where my God is calling me to. And if God has called you, you are not an imposter, he is with you, and so let's worship together as we sing out these words that Jesus is the only place we place our trust in. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. Stay connected with us at thenaz.church. Thank you.